past several weeks. And this Sunday brings us to the end of the first half of the letter, which has all been about the same theme of soaking in whose we are, soaking in the love of God, and uh, remembering that we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and that affects how we live. And so today, as Paul wraps up the first half of the, the letter to the Ephesian church, he prays a prayer that brings everything we've talked about together in one prayer, that we would encounter and experience God's best, not just as individuals, but as the church of Jesus, a church that is filled with all kinds of folks, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, Jew, Gentile. And so he wraps this up for us today, and we're going to jump into it right now as he prays not just for the church in Ephesus, but he prays for you and for me. And this is how his prayer goes. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ, the Messiah, may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. To know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You pray with me and for me. Come, Lord Jesus, help me lift you up. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill this place and every heart and life with your presence and power. And come, love of Christ, help us encounter this love in such a way that we are filled to the full, as Paul prays for us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, brothers and sisters, I share with you today, these are my heart verses, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that as the sermon goes on, but, uh, but if you ever get a letter from me, these will be the verses that I share with you uh, because they've meant so much to me. Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus, Paul's prayer for us, um, reminds me of my younger days as a high school teenager. My dad has a 1970 white convertible Beetle that hasn't been running in about 30 years. But it did work when I was a teenager. He still has it. It's in the garage, you know, up on stilts. And he, you know, occasionally does a little bit with it. But I don't know if he'll ever get it working or not. But, but anyway, it was great back in my teenage days. You know, if I ever wanted to have a lot of fun, 
put the top down, turn on the stereo. It had a pretty good stereo for the day. You could actually pop in cassette tapes, right? Uh, you know, uh, it was fancy, I tell you. And, you know, it was just a fun time. It was kind of puttering around East Cobb County with Dad's convertible Beetle. And so any chance I got, I'd do that. And once in a while, I think I maybe took it over to Andrea's house and Maybe we might have gone on a date in it once before it kind of went kaput. But anyway, this one, one, one day, I had it out and about, and things were going well. This, it was a sunny you know, spring or summer day, and I was headed down Johnson's Ferry Road to the Chattahoochee River. And you go down to the river, and you come back up, and you're in Fulton County in Sandy Springs. And uh, so I was headed down there, and I don't, don't know what I was doing or where I was going, but some someplace fun. And I got to the bottom of the hill and came across the river, and as I was coming up the other side, the, the, the car went putt, putt, putt. And it was done. I was like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? This can't be happening here. It can't be happening. You know, there's nowhere to pull off. It's like the bridge and the road, and that's it. And and uh, I think I just kind of had to wait by the road maybe and I don't know if I even got it into you know there was kind of a driveway maybe that I could maybe push it in but there's no way I was pushing it up by myself you know but my dad finally got there and we pushed it up and got it in a driveway and we left and he came back and brought it home the next day and I said well what was wrong with it you know what had gone wrong with the engine uh, you know what had messed up and he said well I took some gas and I poured in some gas and it worked. And you see the, the, the dial to tell you when the gas was empty, it really didn't work all that well. You know, it would show like half a tank or a fourth a tank and there was nothing in it. And I, and I promise it's, it's, it's the gauge's fault. It's not my fault. <laughs> but it reminds me of how so much, so many times in life that with our own life, uh, our gauge shares that, you know, our life is running fine, we're doing okay, we're looking like we're half full, or at least we got a quarter tank left, but really, we hit a brick wall, and we kind of putt-putt, and life runs on empty. Have you ever hit that wall or been there? Um, in those moments, brothers and sisters, this is where Paul's prayer can be huge for your life, for your faith, and for your journey. And so we want to dig in and see how Paul basically prays for us when we're at our emptiest to be filled to the full with who God is, with his spirit, his power, and his love. And to kind of share a part of that today, I want to add in the story of, of a young lady I was reading about. Her name is Tori Hope Peterson because her life was kind of going alongside what we're talking about today in terms of her finding faith in the midst of her emptiness. You see, Tori grew up um, with anything but a stable family. She had no father around at all. And she'd always thought, you know, if I just had a dad, dad could be here to make everything work right. But things didn't work right. She didn't have a father around, and it always kind of ached in her heart. And not only that, but her mom uh, just really struggled. 
and would kind of go downhill with depression or a meltdown. And in those moments, um, she knew what it was like to be yelled at and abused and hurt. And so this is how she grew up. And in fact, she couldn't even stay in her own family. She ended up in foster care and went from one foster home to the next home to the next home to the next home, just one after the other growing up, never knowing much stability, never knowing much love. And so to kind of typify her emptiness, when she got to kind of junior in high school, she was in an English class, and in that English class, she ran, ran along the, the writings of Anne Rand. Atlas Shrugged, big influence on the conservative movement, but Anne herself was very much an atheist and a hard atheist. And, uh, and Tori's heart and life resonated with this, with this anger, with this unhappiness at life, with this struggle that the world isn't as it should be. And, and that's kind of where she was as a junior in high school. She'd been in and out of church. She'd heard preaching and teaching about Jesus and had listened and kind of sort of thought, well, there might be something there, but never sure. But I think, though she doesn't in her testimony, I think one way she might have talked about her life at this point would have been empty and searching. God the Father and His nature. And so whether you're a father in Africa or you're a father in Asia or a father in Conyers or a father in Brazil or a father in, gosh, the Middle East, whether you're a Jewish father, whether you're a father who speaks Swahili, it doesn't matter, Paul writes. This prayer is for you because God is father of everybody and so your fatherhood and our familyhood derives its source is in the god who has made us and that source is bringing us together and so paul is saying this prayer is for every one so then he goes on in the prayer and says i pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. The first part of Paul's prayer for us today is a prayer for strength. Where does that strength come from? It comes from the nature of the living God himself. The glory of God, the wealth of God, the richness of who God is, his glory is manifest here in our world in various parts and various places. And God, Paul knows God wants his glory to be received in filled in your life and nature and being and so it's through his spirit that he has given us in jesus christ that he desires to strengthen your life from the inside out because paul knows we can get empty you see as paul prays this prayer you know it's it's clear to me as day Paul was praying out of his own experience, out of his own emptiness, out of his own failures, out of his own brokenness. And in the midst of that, he knows what we as humans need most. When we are empty, we need strength so that we're not empty anymore. Amen? Amen? Come on, guys. Wake up. And so he prays that we may be strengthened by his glory in the inner being 
through the Holy Spirit. That's the first part of his prayer. The second part of his prayer is an offshoot of that. Not only would we be strengthened, but secondly, that we would let Jesus dwell in us through faith. That we would let Jesus live in us, in our hearts, through faith. That if you want to be filled up, you don't want to leave Jesus out in the cold. The place for Jesus Christ must become your heart. And the only way Jesus gets into our heart is for us to open our hearts to him and say, Jesus, I trust you with the deepest part of who I am. I trust you to meet me in the inside of my heart. And through that faith, God can fill us up and do incredible and amazing things. So the Lord Jesus shares with us today, I'm sorry, Paul shares with us, that we want to be strengthened by his spirit so that Jesus may make a home in our hearts. And we appropriate that through our faith, through trusting him radically. And just, you know, it's, you don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. All you have to say is, Jesus, my heart needs you. I'm empty. Would you please make a home in me? That's all there is to it. It's a gift that we can receive. And so then we see the fruits of this gift, of this strength, and this living in the heart. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love. I pray that you, being rooted and and established in love. And here he gives us two metaphors to help us sort of get our minds around what he's praying about and what he's talking about. The first metaphor is the metaphor of the tree. And he wants you and I to look at our life like a tree. How are your roots doing? When the dryness comes, how far do your roots go down? When the rain has been away for far too long, and we are in a desert season, a season of emptiness, how well do your roots go down? Because if your roots will go down far enough into the Father of all of us, that loving Father will feed us and nourish us in the depths and grow us in the Spirit. And so it's our spiritual roots that are crucial to experiencing the depth of what God wants to do in and through us. We must be like a tree with deep, deep roots that even in desert times, we find the water, we find the nourishment, we find the life. And that life is the love of God in Jesus Christ. So that's the one metaphor he uses. He then uses a second metaphor, and the second metaphor he uses is the household. He says, let the foundation of your household, of your life, be in love. That we're called to have a strong foundation in our relationship with God and that that foundation will give you stability and strength and endurance when the storm comes, when the winds blow, when your circumstances are going crazy, when life has not been what you wanted it to be. Like Tori, her life was nothing like she wanted it to be. She wanted a daddy. She wanted a stable family. She wanted someone to love her. She didn't have any of that. But in the midst of that, she needed a firm foundation built on love. 
So the result of this is that we may have power that we might grasp together with all the Lord's holy people, all the Lord's holy people. Again, it's that reminder that God is bringing together a very diverse people, Jews and Gentiles, peoples from every tribe, nation, and tongue, that God is bringing together all God's holy people. Again, he keeps it in this context of multiculturalism to remind us that we all are called to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ the Messiah. To know this love that goes beyond knowledge. He prays for us that if you are empty, you don't need more monster drink or Red Bull. That's not what you need to fill you up. Instead, what you need to fill you up is love the love of the one who formed you in the womb the love of the one who wanted to know you when you were running the other direction the love of the one who died on the cross because you are worth it I want you to know the height of the love and the depth of the love and the length and the width and all that forms a cross and like Paul writes, that love is best experienced in the community of faith and in a community of faith that reflects the love of Jesus. Not just in a white church way or a black church way or a Hispanic church way, but in a way that brings all of us together as one body each of us adding a dimension to the love of Jesus Christ that we encounter and experience when we get together, no matter what our skin color is, no matter what language we use at home, whether it's English or Spanish or something, it doesn't matter. We are made to be a community who is filled with love so much that, as he says, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. It's like uh, the Lord wants to take us a sponge that is dry and brittle, and you'll think, man, this sponge can never be whole again. And if you take that dry sponge and you dip it in the water and pull it back out, will there be much water in it? Not yet. Good try. Not yet. If we dip it, if it's dry, we dip it in, we pull it out, it'll come out very dry still, right? That sponge has to go in, it has to sink to the bottom, and it has to soak. Then as it soaks, the dryness wears off, the water seeps in, and if you got a nice big sponge, if you let it sit there for a while, you pull that sponge out and water is splashing everywhere. It's, you don't even have to squeeze it because it just can't contain all the water. It's filled to the fullness with the nature of the water. And so God, in Christ Jesus, Paul prays that we would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, that love would so saturate our being and our nature and our life that it just can't help but to, to splash and to squeeze and to spread and to encounter and to fill and to touch and to bless for God's glory. 
You see, Paul knows what it's like to be empty, and Paul knows how much we as a people desperately need to be filled with a knowledge, I am loved. From the tips of my toenails to the top of my hair follicles, I am loved. And that love becomes life. And that life becomes power. And that power helps us be who we're called to be in Christ Jesus. And so this is the start, I think, of Christian discipleship. The start of the Christian discipleship begins when we say, Jesus, I trust you. I make a place for you in my heart. And I want you to show me what love is. You know what that 80s song, right? I want to know what love is. I want you to show me, right? We want to know what love is. Paul knows that's what it's all about. And that is what we are to find. And from praying for us, it then moves outward and upward. As Paul concludes by looking to the God who answers this kind of prayer in us and through us and for us. He says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And so in two ways, I think Paul is proclaiming this doxology, this praise, this glory. Two ways. One way is this is the kind of God who answers this kind of prayer. God wants to saturate your life with love. He will do it far more abundantly than you can ask or imagine. You'll have more love than you know what to do with if you just seek Jesus and trust in Jesus. He will saturate you and fill you up. He'll do immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine. And he'll be glorified in the church. He'll be glorified in a church that lives this love out, not just receiving it, not just filling it up, but then splashing it on each other, splashing it on Jew, splashing it on the nations, on the Gentiles, splashing it on whoever comes into this community, whoever comes in through the doors. He's again, he's talking about a multicultural community for God's glory. That's what he's envisioning. That's what he's helping the Ephesians to become. And for him, it starts right here. That let there be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations. And that's what we're striving to become. Brothers and sisters, we, we live in a day and age where people will not believe we have a message of good news until they see us as the body of Christ living out a message of good news together. There must be a credible gospel for people to believe in. Used to in the day having a white church or a black church or a Hispanic church or an Asian church, that was a fine way to do things. But in the 21st century, if you want to tell a cynical world that there's good news for them in Jesus Christ in a white church or a black church, it's not going to make as much of an impact because they want to see the kingdom of God lived out in the body of Christ, right? And so I want to share with you sort of 
you know, I, I've been talking the last couple of weeks what Paul's talking about, and that is how do we help the Spirit help us become a more multi-ethnic church? And I want to share four thoughts from Mark Damas, who talks about sort of obstacles to this even being a possibility in the church. And, and, and he shares three, three questions, three questions that we often ask about being a church of love that's multicultural. He says, in building a healthy multi-ethnic church, what, the first argument is it's just too hard. Just too hard. Too hard to try, too hard to do. And, and I know it, it, it's not easy. But his answer is, where in the Word of God is there a pass for degree of difficulty? There's not. If God calls us to do it, that's who we're to be. Second, others are going to say, well, you know what? I just, I don't really like it. I like how our church is. I can't envision a church being anything different than this. I don't really like it. The second thing he'd share is, well, where in the Bible is it about what you or I like? It's not. It's not about what we like. And then he said, the third thing that we'll often say, which is a good case, well, you see, it's natural for birds of a feather to want to flock together. There's nothing wrong with, you know, people of the same culture who like each other to hang out together and be a family. And no, there's nothing wrong. But even though it may be natural to do that, aren't we supposed to be living in the supernatural? Aren't we supposed to be revealing to the world the supernatural and not just the natural? And so in that, he says, the only hope the church of Jesus has for this generation that we live in that's very multicultural, the only hope we have of advancing a credible gospel of Jesus Christ in an increasingly diverse and a painfully polarized and cynical society is to seek to become a more multi-ethnic representation of the kingdom of God. More multi-ethnic representation of the kingdom of God. And so, and so that's at the very heart of what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians. Tearing down the walls, loving one another, God building something new that includes every people, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, rich and poor. God is doing a new thing and he wants to be glorified in his church and he wants it to be so filled with love that that multi-dimensional, multi-ethnic love just amazes the socks out of a skeptical world. And so that's, that's my heart, and I hope it'll be our heart. Now you say, well, Chris, it's, you say it's hard to do. How do we even begin to do this? Well, guess what? Come back next week. Paul begins to say, okay, everything I've talked about in the first three chapters, this is what it looks like to live it out day to day. And so that's where we're headed next is we've been talking about how to sit in Christ Jesus and the love of God. Next, starting in chapter 4, we learn how to walk it out in Jesus Christ, to walk out what God has poured in. And that's what we're all about. And, and uh, as I talked about Tori's life, uh, that is what she found too. I'm sure she didn't even know this prayer from Paul, but God began answering this prayer prayer of Paul for her life before she even knew it. Perhaps it was in her encounter with a Christian teacher who had let her come hang out in her in his classroom during lunch period because she didn't like going to lunch and hanging out with the other kids and so she'd come and they'd talk about things. Just things. 
and he'd ask, well, do you believe in God? And she'd say, no, no, I like Anne Rind, and she's an atheist, and I just, I think people believe in God because everybody believes in God, and what if nobody believed in God? Would anybody believe in God? And he said, you're right, I don't know. But it was a light of love for her. Second along the way, uh, she'd also encountered Christians who kind of faked it. And Lord, help us not fake it. Because when she saw families that would fake it, this is where her conclusion there. More and more, it appeared that Christianity and Jesus' talk were masks people wore to hide their sin. Were masks people wore to hide their sin. And I didn't want a mask. I wanted to be seen, known, and loved as I was. I wanted to be seen, known, and loved as I was. Isn't that what Paul is praying for us? That we will know that we're seen, that we will know that we're known, that we will know that we're loved. And as her heart began to awake to the teachings of Jesus, she began to experience more of the love of Christ. Even before she was a Christian, she said this, my heart was so drawn to the character of Jesus that I posted a YouTube video one day asking people to forgive me for being a mean and angry person. I tried my best to be kind and caring toward my peers because it sank in that I shouldn't hurt others the way they had hurt me. Wow. Before she even comes to faith in Jesus, the love of Christ is working on her and in her and through her. But finally, her last foster family was a single mom, a single mom who sacrificed to help this foster child she didn't need to care for find God's best. She sacrificed so that she could run track and field, maybe earn a track scholarship, so that she could have uh, the kind of shoes that could help her run fast, real track shoes, going to practices, alter altering the food that she ate, all to help her foster child make a difference. And then running into a youth leader, a youth leader who also helped her work through her issues and her questions, sharing the love of Jesus. And with this, she concludes, you know, I, I didn't know all the answers, but I knew when I looked at Scripture, I saw a God who didn't shy away from pain, but embraced it so that others would know love. When I looked at the lives of those who reminded me of Jesus, I could see how they had sacrificed on my behalf and I didn't want to waste their suffering or my own, but I wanted to receive it all as a gift, as a call to love others as they had loved me. You see, she's growing in this prayer as she encounters love of Jesus Christ in brothers and sisters and mentors and stepmoms. And so she concludes, in the end, I found the father I'd always wanted. It turned out to be the father who was always there, the father who revealed himself to me in his own perfect timing. And in God, she found a father who loved. And that's for all of us. That love changed her life. It filled her up. Why might it not do the same for you and me? So today, as we conclude, we're going to, sing the closing hymn together and I want to open up the altar if you're feeling empty 
Don't worry about your neighbor and what they may think. Don't keep up the mask and play the games. But if you need, you need some filling of power and of love, I want to invite you as we close in song, I'd love to come up and as you kneel at the rail, I'd love just to say a prayer for you that God might meet you and strengthen you and love you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let it be. Amen. We close with this. Heavenly Father, I thank you just for your love and goodness today. And Lord, wherever we are, however empty we feel and whatever reason we are empty, maybe from broken dreams, maybe from burnout, maybe from bad choices, Lord, you invite us to love and to be loved. And so, Lord, may each of us affirm Paul's prayer that we might know the height and the depth and the length and the width of this amazing love that blows our mind. pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand and let's offer praise to God? And I said, the altar will be open. Uh, Lord, I want to be a Christian.